You know, one day when we're in heaven, it doesn't matter what language you speak. We're all going to understand. All right? I can't wait for that. It's going to be amazing. I've always wanted to know lots of languages, and unfortunately, I don't know two. I only know English and Czech. At least well enough to be able to, like, to really know it, to really speak it. I can go to, like, a Spanish-speaking country and get by. I can go to Italy and get by, but it's not really knowing the language, right? Um, so, yes, I... I'm looking forward to heaven, to just being able to do it all, and also being able to sing and play like you guys have. Um, it's so awesome to see all the talent that you have here. I got, I had an amazing day today. I went to see the Jedi Grottos, um, and it's just spectacular going through there, how huge it is. I couldn't even, I would never have even thought that it could be that big. And then after that, I went to an Iraqi group, Iraqi refugees um, Bible study group, which was just amazing. Um, such an amazing experience to get to know people from somewhere else. I was telling my husband before I went, I just said, I'm going to go meet people from somewhere else. This is going to be so awesome. And it really was. It was just so great. Such warm, loving people. Absolutely loved it. Um, I hope that you had a great day. Did you have a good day? Good enough? Okay, that's good. All right, well, we are going to spend some more time in the Word of God, so let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today for bringing us back. We are here because we want to hear from you, and so I just ask that you are the one who speaks. I pray this in your name. Amen. So I have a question for you. Have you ever turned to God and said, oh God, please judge me? Anyone? <laughs> no? I am willing to bet that there was probably nobody here that has ever done that, right? Because there is something about judgment that most of us are like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. This is not something I'm going to, you know, ask for. And some of it is probably because of the different way that we have heard about judgment and we have been told about judgment throughout our lives. And so even though we know that God is loving and merciful and, and gracious, there's still something in our minds that kind of sees God as this like heavenly policeman who is kind of waiting to zap us because of something that we do. And we know that that's not really true, and yet, maybe it is, right? And so we just kind of keep that in our, in our minds. But did you know that there's someone who prayed that prayer, and he actually asked God three different times, Oh God, please judge me. And that's David. And one of them is in Psalm 7, verse 8. And he's talking to God and he's saying, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. And then he asks it again and again. What is it about judgment that David understands that maybe we miss? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to take us to Daniel chapter 7. 
And I already mentioned this morning that we're going to talk about judgment in this, in this chapter. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to start reading with verse 9. And Daniel is speaking, and he says, and this is, as I told you in the morning, this is right after all of the kingdoms are introduced, and he sees the little horn come up. Then there is a break, and from what he sees is happening on earth, the scene shifts to heaven, and he sees as if like heaven opens, and he sees into heaven what is going on in heaven. Okay, and then this is what he writes. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. The Ancient of Days is only mentioned here in the book of Daniel. And it's, talk, it's talking about God the Father, that he comes and sits on the throne. That God sits on the throne. And the reason why it's calling him the Ancient of Days is because in the ancient culture, age meant wisdom. And so he's portrayed as an old man because that means that if he's going to sit on the throne as this king and as a judge, then he would be a wise judge who would judge justly. It says, his garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. It says, he sits on his throne. And... In the ancient culture, I already mentioned, a king was also a judge. Today, in our culture, we have, when you see a courtroom scene, you have the judge, you have the lawyer, you have the defense attorney, you have all these different people, the jury, and everybody has a different part. But in the ancient culture, that's not how it worked. The judge was also the defense attorney for the person that was accused. So the judge was also that person's lawyer. The judge was on that person's side and would actually be on that person's side unless this person was convicted. So a judge was someone that you wanted in the courtroom. So now it describes more about this judge that's sitting, and it says his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. I've Love this description. It says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. So it's saying that his throne is on fire. Like there is just fire bursting all around. This description is taken from Ezekiel because Daniel had known. He knows Ezekiel. He's read Ezekiel. But it's also something that he sees. I wonder, because he's obviously trying to describe this in the terms that he knows and at that moment that he saw. I wonder if he knew some other terms, like for example fireworks, if he would have used that. If he would have actually said it was like fireworks actually going off. In 2013, in San Diego for 4th of July, they programmed fireworks. And they were going to go off for 20 minutes, you know, just like normally they do for 20 minutes. And then at the end, there was going to be this massive climax to it. Well, something went wrong. And the whole thing went off all at once. And everything exploded in 20 seconds. It was just over. And all you could see on the news, did you guys see it on the news? No? Um, in 2013, there was this like big article about it that said that there is 
It was the, like the big bay bust that happened in San Diego because of the white cloud. It was just like a white plume that was just covering, right? That's it. That's all you could see. And so to me, I wonder if he would have known what fireworks is, if he would have actually used it, because that's really what it sounds like. Like there's just streams of fire just going out. And then it says, a thousand thousands minister to him. So these are angels who are all around. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. So we know that judgment has just occurred. And now verses 11 to 12 describe the verdict of this judgment. It says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. So it goes back to the little horn. And it says, I watched till the beast was slain. So the verdict of this judgment was that the beast, the fourth beast, is, is done with. It's over with. And because the beast is connected to this little horn, the little horn is connected to it, and that means that it's over for the little horn. Its body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. The Bible tells us that judgment at the end, when everyone, everything is destroyed, this is not a fire that is burning forever, but it is a fire that is consuming, and it just consumes, and it's over. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And this is really just saying that the beasts that came before, the kingdoms that came before, they will live on through culture and the teachings that have been before for a little while. Which they did. For example, Greek thought. We still have that permeating all throughout. And now it goes back to the courtroom scene. Verse 12 says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. So here we go again. The same term that was used before is the Son of Man who was in the fiery furnace appears on the scene again. It says, and he is coming with the clouds of heaven. And the one that comes with the clouds of heaven we know is Jesus at the second coming. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So he's coming to God the Father. And then it says, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. The kingdom that was described before as the mountain that just grows large, so large that it covers the whole world. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is given this final kingdom. And now what does he do with it? Well, he could just keep it. Because really, why would we deserve to be there? But he doesn't. It says in verse 10, no, in verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and even forever and ever. So Jesus doesn't keep this kingdom. He doesn't want to be there just 
with the ones who are there now. He wants us there with him. And so he gives this kingdom to us. He says the saints of God, those who follow God, those who love God, they will possess this kingdom. I'm giving it to them. So there's a sequence that's here. First, there's a judgment. Then, condemnation of the wicked. Then Jesus comes for the second time. And then the kingdom is given to the saints. Right? These are steps that are important because judgment has to happen before the kingdom is realized. So when does this judgment happen and what kind of a judgment is it? Right? That's, those are the questions that are important to answer. So when does it happen? Well, the book of Daniel tells us that. It talks about this judgment and it gives answers to it at different points. We have not gone to chapter 9, but one of the biggest answers is in chapter 9. So when does it happen? First of all, in chapter 8, in verse 14, the angel tells him how... So Daniel is asking a question about... or one, and He hears an angel asking the question, how long will all of these things happen that you have predicted? Right. This is in Daniel chapter 8, verse... 13. And the angel gives an answer. Another angel gives an answer. And the angel says, for 2,300 days. And in prophecy, we know that days are years. So this is 2,300 years that all of this is going to happen. And then it says, then at the end of this, the sanctuary will be cleansed. Now, if you compare the sequence of everything that happens in the two books, you'll notice that it's the beasts or the kingdoms all line up. Then the little horn lines up in the two chapters. And then in chapter 7, it's the judgment. And in chapter 8, it's the cleansing of the sanctuary. So because they all line up, we know that those two things are the same thing. So the angel is telling him the cleansing of the sanctuary is the judgment, and the judgment will occur at the end of those 2,300 days or 2,300 years. But then the question is, okay, so how do we know when those 2,300 years were? When did they begin and when do they end? Well, Daniel had to wait for the answer for about 13 years. But we can just look in chapter 9. Can you imagine that? You're praying and praying and praying because you want an answer from God, and God waits 13 years to give it to you? There are plenty of scholars that I know that I studied under at the seminary, and they will tell me the same thing. They said they were studying a certain thing in the book of Revelation for years and praying and praying that God would show it to them. I think that sometimes we get the wrong idea of the Bible. We think that it's simple. And it is simple enough that all of us can read it, but it is not simple. There's so much in it. And if we don't take the time, we will never learn it, right? And that's why God gave us a brain. He wants us to use it and to study it. So Daniel eventually finds out in chapter 9 when this is happening. And we're going to look at that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. 
And he's told, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah comes, there will be a certain amount of weeks, he's told. Now he knows, because of the prophecy that he's already been given, that this means that the same time that this prophecy begins is also the same time that the 2300 years began. And so he goes back and he figures out when this is. Or we go back and we figure out when this is. This was not for Daniel to know. And when we go back, we figure out when this command was that they were told to go and restore Jerusalem. We realize it was King Artaxerxes who, made, who gave this command in 457 B.C. When he gave this command, or actually Daniel would have known this because it was um, after Persia, right? So in 457, the 2300 years begin. And they end, if you add it up, in year, does anyone know? 1844. Okay, in year 1844, it's the year that we talk about as the great disappointment. Because on that year, there were many people who studied the Bible and they said, okay, what does this cleansing of the sanctuary mean? And they thought it meant Jesus coming back. And then they realized after studying the Bible and Jesus did not come, that after they compared all these chapters in Daniel, they realized, oh, it's the same thing. It's judgment and cleansing of the sanctuary. That's what it means. So they found out that in 1844, what happened is judgment began. And this judgment is going to go on all the way until Jesus comes again. So we are living during the time of this judgment. Now this judgment has historically been called the pre-advent judgment, so it's before Jesus comes, or the investigative judgment. Have any of you ever heard that term before? Okay, some have. So the investigative judgment. When you hear the word investigative judgment, is that good news for you or bad news? Doesn't sound good, right? Nobody wants to be investigated. I really don't. So let me tell you this. My dad actually wrote an article on this, and he said that this, I love this article because he said in it that this title that was given to it meant something different than what it means now to us. And so now when we think of investigative judgment, it really means something negative for us. And so he calls it the affirmative judgment, where, he, where God affirms the decisions that we have made throughout our lives, whether to choose him or not to choose him. Because when, when this judgment is happening, God doesn't have to investigate you. He doesn't have to investigate me. He doesn't have to actually kind of look at, oh, you know, do the kind of like in the Egyptian system where they would weigh things. They would say, okay, there's more bad things here and there's good things here, but the bad things just kind of outweigh, right? So that's too bad for you. You're lost. But that's not how God works. The Bible says in Romans that, or in 2 Timothy, says that God knows those who are his. That's it. It's as simple as that. He knows those who belong to him. So he doesn't have to try to figure out if you have done this or this or that in order to deserve to be in heaven. That's not how it works. 
because he knows you and he knows me and he knows exactly the kind of decisions that you have made during your life. If you are living for him or not, he knows. So how does this work? Your name or my name is brought up in heaven. And Jesus says, okay, so let's just say that I have died already, okay? My name is brought up in heaven because really every single person's name is brought up in heaven after you've died because that's when you make your decision. You cannot make any more decisions after you die. So after you die, unless you're part of the last generation that's still alive, your name will be brought up in heaven after you die. When it is brought up, Jesus says, okay, this is Andrea Jacobson's. I'm just going to use my name. And yes, she is a sinner. She has done things in her life that were not great. And she has fallen in different things. But she has repented. And she has given her life to me. And so because she has given her life to me, my blood covers her. My righteousness covers her. And she belongs to me. And I believe that at that point, the whole of heaven stands up and cheers for God because he is the one who did this. Why is it that that's what happens? Because Jesus died for you and me. Because he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. This is the way that my dad would always explain this to us. And when I was a kid, I never forgot it because I just thought it was brilliant. And it totally like just gave me the point. I'm just looking for a piece of paper that's actually doesn't have something. Okay. So imagine that this is you. This is your life. This is all the different things that you have done throughout your life. And they're just written down, and it's a mess. It probably would be a lot more covered than this if it was my life, right? But then I also want you to imagine that this Bible is Jesus, okay? So now I, my, all, everything, all of this I have done, it's true. But because I have repented, Jesus says, okay, your sins are white as snow. But Jesus does something more than just that. He also takes me and he puts me right here. And then he closes it. And then, what do you see? You don't see me anymore because I'm nowhere to be found. Because I'm inside of Jesus. That's what Jesus' blood does for me and you. He covers us completely because none of us can ever do anything that, we will deserve, that will be deserving of heaven. We just can't. He has to do it. And he does because he wants to do it. Because he loves us, because he wants us to be in heaven. So this investigative judgment is, has nothing to do with God investigating us. But it does have to do with the rest of the universe wanting to make sure that the people who are in heaven have actually truly given their lives to Jesus. Because they don't want the same thing to happen again 
where Satan said, oh, but I don't want to follow God. They don't want to see the evil and suffering that has been going on for so long ever again. So they want to make sure that when Jesus covers us, that yes, we have actually truly given our lives to him. Now there's something else I want you to see. I want you to go back to Daniel chapter 8. I love, this verse is just amazing. Okay, Daniel chapter 8, verse 10. It says this. And this is talking about the little horn. It says, And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. And you're thinking, okay, what is special about this verse? Okay, let me explain this to you. This little horn, is, it says, grows to heaven. Now, what is in heaven? It says it's the host of God. Who are the host? The people of God. Okay? The people of God is us and the saints. And it says that the, the little horn has to throw them down from heaven in order to trample them. What does that mean? That Jesus sees you and me as already being in heaven. Isn't that amazing? We are in Jesus' eyes. If we have accepted him, then we are already seen as if we are in heaven. That's how he sees us. It is. So how can you be sure that you're going to be there? Let me just give you this one little short illustration. There's a man who's driving down the road. Driving the speed limit, everything seems fine, but suddenly there's a cop behind him and stops him. The cop comes to the door, to the window, and the man starts right away saying, but I didn't do anything wrong, officer. I did everything right. I was going the speed limit. I stopped at the stop sign. Nothing is wrong, so I don't really understand why you just stopped me. When the man finishes, the police officer says, yes, you stopped the stop sign. You did everything right. You did that right. He also went the speed limit, but did you notice that this is a one-way street and that you're going the other way? That was the only thing that he did wrong. He went the wrong way. But that is really the point. If you're going the right way, as in if you're going towards Jesus, and you in your life, that's what you're doing no matter what. You fall down, but then you repent. Jesus picks you up again, and you keep going, and you keep walking towards Jesus. Then that is all that matters. The only problem is, if you're walking away, then judgment is not such good news for that. Because God has to get rid of evil in the end. And I'm pretty sure that there's nobody here that wants evil to continue forever. I know I don't. And I do not want a world that I will live in forever where there is evil and it just continues and continues and destroys. 
God has to put an end to evil. But if you are walking in the direction of Jesus, then you have nothing to fear. And you can, just like David, say, Lord, judge me. Because he judges us based on his righteousness, not ours. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your righteousness that covers us. We cannot do anything to save ourselves, but you do it all. All that we need to do is accept you, ask you to be in our lives, ask you to keep transforming us, and keep walking in your direction. Keep spending time with you so that you can change us. Thank you, Lord, for seeing us as already being in heaven and that all that we need to do is, is rejoice because you already see us as being there with you. I thank you for that promise, Lord. Help us to keep holding on to you no matter what. I pray this in your name. Amen.